Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review Presents. Uh, this week we're doing The Orville. Yay! It's uh, December 4th, 2022. So The Orville is as close you can get to Star Trek without calling it Star Trek. You ain't kidding, boy. <laughs> so, I love the uh, show is... and I love the comics, but boy is it derivative. In a good way, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a good way. It's all good. So uh, this is actually our second time visiting Orville Comics. Uh, we did it uh, back in 2020, mm-hmm. February of 2020, when we did a uh, special, and it was uh, covering the first two issues of the Orville comic book series by Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. And today we'll cover the next two, which is uh, it's actually the Orville maybe New Beginnings Part 3 and 4, but it's part of uh, a two-part story called The Word of Avis 1 and 2. The, so, uh... It, oh, okay. What? What? I thought it was The World of Avis. It's not? It's The Word it's of Avis? The Word of Avis. Wow. The Word of Avis. So this, uh... Dark Horse came out with a four-part series. Some places it's called Orville Season 1.5. Other places I see it as the Orville New Beginnings, uh, and it's basically two different min- two different two issue miniseries. Um, so, so it's a little weird to keep track of the way they numbering their stuff over at uh, Dark Horse. Yep, I think the uh, graphic novel calls it New Beginnings, but you said you saw it as season one point five. Mm, no. Um, I think we determined that um, some of these books are basically in the gaps between seasons. Right. So, we'll, so yeah, we were. I think we were calling it 1.5 just because it's between seasons 1 and 2. And then the other uh, ones actually, are between 2 and 5. Or two, graphic, and 2 and 3. The graphic novel actually calls it. I, I'm looking at the graphic novel now online, and okay. it says the Orville season 1.5 new beginnings. Okay. Well, that's where that, we got it from. That's where we got it from. So, yep, so I don't know why they numbered it this, um, but, oh well. The only way I know it's between season one and two is because the uh, the security officer is the first girl and not the second girl. There you go. <laughs> she, did, she did last just one season, right? Or was she in it two seasons? I thought she was There's in only it two been seasons, three, right? but, the, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so she's only in the first season. Well, she's in all the seasons, but she's kind of, eh, she was kind of in like little guest starring snippets. Right. But not the normal, uh, yeah, the other girl took over. I forgot her name. Right. I forgot her name too. But. You can tell we're big fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, um, maybe that is a a guidepost for how much, how deeply you're into something whether you can remember everybody's name or not, all the characters' names. All right. Now, so I, I sometimes have a little bit of... from Discovery. Pardon me? I, lo- I love Discovery, but I can't tell you anybody's name on that ship. 
except for the main two or three. Yeah, yeah I'm about the same on that. <laughs> and, and and some of the top people. As I was doing this again, I hadn't I hadn't done anything with the Orville for a while. It's like, what was John's last name? Oh, Lamar. Okay, right. Got that. Okay, fine. Okay. I was kind of reminding myself, and I totally was it Taylor. I don't know uh, the right. security girl. No, right. no, she's Alara. Sorry, Alara's the the one that's there now. Yeah, right. And so Taylor's the the, now the one they replaced. Yeah, right. Okay, so I'm getting those two confused. No, I think or, I think you had it right the first time. Yeah, I think Alara's the first one, and then Talara is the second. Exactly right. That's yeah, yeah, right. And then you know, Bordas is easy, no problem. Never had a problem remembering yeah. him. And then Isaac, you know. Yeah, yeah. I can't, uh, what's the um, navigator's name? I love him, but I can't remember his name all of a sudden. The, the pilot. What's his name? Oh, the pilot. Um, yeah, that's uh, Gordon. Gordon? Gordon. 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 Yeah. yeah. I don't remember his last name. Parcel. No, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't Rams. remember his last name. Gordon. Anyway, so. so we're demonstrating right now. And plus, I mean, it'd be, it'd be better if, you know, they were on a more regular basis. But the Orville just isn't. So right. that last season was a great season, but it was a long drought because of COVID and whatever. Right. Between right. seasons. So we're not seeing them all the time. And another thing that's different between now and back when Star Trek Next Generation and Deep Space Nine was coming out mm-hmm. is that there was so much other expanded media at the time mm-hmm. where you were exposed to all the characters through either the novels or the comics that came mm-hmm. at the time. But with the Orville and Discovery and, uh, you know, Strange New Worlds, I mean, there's a few, but not like it was back in the day, you know, was as far as expanded media, right? right. So, I mean, there's, yeah, you could go and read the comic book, but even the comic books like these, you know, really only hit on the main couple characters. Yeah, and don't give like you know a side story with Gordon or something like that. Although I think Gordon was more in the first two issues because he and um, he and the captain were stuck on that penguin planet. Yeah. He and Ed, yep, they were paired up a lot. Right. So, anyways, I enjoyed these two issues, um, but but yeah, it's it, it feels like an old Star Trek comic, <laughs> which I, <laughs> an which old I love. One? It feels like, you know, like in the vein of the old DC and Marvel ones where it was just, you, know, you get in there, you have a two-part story, and, and you move on. Yeah. Well, unlike, you know, doing like a 12-part uh, log series. Sure. Like like IDW's been yeah. doing lately. Yeah, and also I do like these comics. I think they're really good, everything you just said. And the I think the artwork is very good. Very true to the uh, actors. So, um, and even, you know, the sets and everything seems very, very accurate, very true to the uh, source material. Um, and the writing is very much the actor or the characters are pretty much doing the things you'd expect them to be doing, uh, from your experience of watching them on the TV show. Now, this particular story, uh, as I mentioned to you before we started recording is I liked it, uh, but there was nothing in it that was really pizzazzy that really grabbed me and said, oh, wow, that's clever. Or, ooh, wow, that happened. I wasn't expecting that. Um, it was good. It was I'm going I'm to disagree with you a little bit because okay. there, the main story I thought was actually 
I mean, yeah, you saw it coming a mile away, but I still, if you think about it, it is pretty intriguing. But uh, we'll talk about that. After. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that. But, I mean, it's intriguing, but also incredibly hard to believe. So, as we will see... Okay, we'll save it for later. <laughs> All right, well, I think you're going to cover the first one. You want to go ahead and jump into it? I'd love to. Okay, so Dark Horse Comics, The Orville, number three. The Word of Avis, uh, part one. Uh, and I didn't see any subtitle. September 2019, writer is David A. Goodman. Art by David Cabeza. Colors by Michael Antia. Lettering by Richard Starklings or Starkings and Comic Crafts Jimmy Bandicourt. Edited by David Marshall. Assistant editor Connor Knudsen, or maybe Knudsen, I don't know. Designer Brennan Tome or Thome. Digital art by Anne Gray. And publisher is Mike Richardson. The cover features Chief Engineer John Lamar in engineering, speaking to a lovely lady in civilian clothes. They are both smiling and apparently enjoying each other's company. While Dan and Yafit, Dan with two N's, and Yafit look on with glee, ready to fire up the ship's, the ship-wide rumor mill. And I only saw one cover, right? There's only one cover, right? Yeah, these only have one cover. Okay, that's what I thought. John and Gordon are on the holodeck. They borrowed the name from Star Trek II, right? I think so. Uh, playing out a battle from the Crusades, where they are part of a Muslim force attacking a force of Knights Templars that are protecting Jerusalem. Before the violence begins, they make some observations concerning how the Christians and Muslim God comes from the same origin and is essentially the same, but they are fighting a violent, murderous religious war anyway over their version of that God. Later, Gordon enters the bridge telling the captain he should join the next time. Gordon says he severed ten guys' heads. Ed declines as Isaac and Bortus report on a transport ship heading for the Krill border at high speed. They warn the transport off, but eventually need to use their tractor beams to rapidly slow the transport. The pilot of the ship is not cutting their engines, so Lamar remotely has to access their command console without security codes, clever guy, and shuts the uh, transport's engines down, but not before the ship is damaged. Ed gives the order to bring the transport into the shuttle bay. Bordas and Alara grab a security team, and armed to the teeth, they open the transport's outer hatch. They find what appears to be three unarmed scientists with ship issues that put them off course with broken comms. Later in Ed's office, the lead scientist, Darden, explains he and his team are xenoanthropologists studying a primitive culture on Mizar II. They had system problems that put them off of their intended course. Ed says he has to report this, but assigns them to quarters and assigns an engineering team to repair their ship. Kelly and Ed thinks Darden is not telling everything, so he also assigns Alara to keep an eye on their guests. Lamar and Dan 
and Yaffet enter the transport to effect repairs and find a very lovely lady who was already in the ship's systems repairing them. Lamar says hi to Celeste. It turns out they knew each other in Union Academy. Lamar says he recalls Celeste had strong engineering skills, but she tells him she left all that behind and dove headfirst into xenoanthropology. Meanwhile in the mess hall, Gordon is eating his meal when Darden, Carax, and Franz, the three original xenoanthropologists, all with trays of their own, asked to join Gordon. Gordon says yes, and they comment on the partial copy of the Krill Bible that, that's called the Ankhana that Gordon and Captain Mercer were able to obtain while on a covert mission aboard a Krill capital ship. They move on and ask him all about the Krill religious service that he and the captain attended. Gordon describes it to them and cringed when they got to the part where they plunged a knife into a human's severed head repeatedly. They are fascinated by what they hear and ask for more details. Later on the bridge, Gordon tells Ed and others all about this and and his assessment. They are not a-holes, but rather they are nutjobs. John tells them about Celeste and her engineering skills. If Celeste was on that ship, there is no way her systems could have gotten that degraded. Dr. Finn reports they are not krill in disguise. They are what they say they are, anatomically. They end the conversation, say they need to keep an eye on them for now. Later, John decides on his own to get to the bottom of this mystery and bumps into Alara on his way to the transport. John is able to remotely control the transport's internal cameras, and they find out what these four really are and what they are planning. Later in the main conference room, Alara and John tell the captain and the senior staff what they discovered. The scientists drank the Krill Kool-Aid, apparently, and are followers of the Krill religion and its main figure, Avis. Later in guest quarters, Ed Kelly and Alara confront the scientists with what they discovered. Dr. Darden says they are not spies. They were just practicing their religion. He tries to put Mercer on the defensive by asking if he does not believe in freedom of religion. Darden says he and his team were assigned by Admiral Halsey to study the Ankana that Mercer and Ed brought back from their mission. They studied it and In it, they found what was missing from all their lives. A calling that was bigger than themselves. They even visited the captured krill named Talea, who filled in the gaps in the Ankana copy that they were studying. The discussion continues and gets a bit heated. In the end, Ed says their plans to travel to Krill territory and further their religious beliefs will not happen since they are Union citizens, and he has a responsibility to protect the scientists' lives. Darden tells them they may not have a choice about that. Kelly and Ed do not know what he's talking about, but soon find out when they are called to the bridge and find out they are off course by a lot. 
Celeste was able to insert code into the Orville navigation computer that made subtle course changes over time until the ship is now 35 light-years across the Krill border. To be continued. So did you like how Dan was trying to make sure that the captain knew that that was his idea? (laughs) Yeah. And Lamar was like, oh, nobody could have seen this coming. And Dan's like, I did. I told you. I thought, I thought that was funny. Yeah. So when they were trying to take over the, the transport ship, what, what did they call it? They, uh, Dan, Dan told John about something, an echo or I don't know what it was. Right. And then, then Lamar was just saying, hey, don't bother with that. I, we got to get this done. Uh, so I guess that's when the upload uh, happened. I just thought it was funny. It, it, it reminded me of like, I don't know, like being with my kid and nah. trying to explain something. And then they're like trying to stick in information that may be pertinent, but really not what we're trying to talk about. Yeah. Where he's like, read the room. Nobody cares whose fault it is. We just (laughs) got to figure out how we're in the grill space. Exactly. But I told you. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I do like about the books is at least they're trying to get all the characters right. So Dan and Yafit get to exercise their particular character quirks in these books which right. is good and that last little inter- uh, exchange between um the captain and uh what's what's his ex-wife's name um, oh to T- layla or whatever no 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 his ex-wife the the second in command Her oh is uh Mer- no, grayson right yeah <sighs> Anyways, I like their little exchange when he says, I don't, I don't want to know. And then she's like, I think you already do. Exactly, right. Or this is like, we're in real space. I thought that was, that was a little funny moment that I could see playing out in the show. Oh, yeah. Well, they know each other so well. Right. And something so I do... Li- oh, go ahead. Something I do like about the Ed character is mm-hmm. rather than being Kirk, he's definitely not Kirk. Um, he doesn't always have to be the guy with the answer. He doesn't always have to be, you know, gung-ho, whatever. He can, he can display something like that where he knows what, what's going on, but it's like, oh, I don't want to know. So he can be right. that guy. He doesn't have to be always, you know, the guy who's on top of everything. Right. Yeah, I like that he's his own, his own guy. Yeah. It's not like any of the other Star Trek captains. Right. I guess <laughs> if I had to pick... If I had to say he's like somebody, I would say a little bit like um, the new Pike. I mean, Pike kind of seems that way too, where he's yeah, a, he, a little down to earth. He, he's, I, I agree with that. More down to earth, less uh, or more believable. I mean, he, uh, yeah, he, he's oh, and definitely when he was on Discovery, uh, where basically the way they wrote, wrote almost everything is Michael Burnham had to figure everything out. Well, that means that Pike isn't going to figure some things out because Michael's got to be the one that, with all the answers. But, um, but that was something that was very endearing about the character when we first meet him is that he, was, he didn't have to be the guy with all the answers. I mean, he was cool with, uh, you know, the people under him being right about something and maybe even forcing their preferences. Because I remember there was one episode where uh, basically Burnham was basically telling Pike no, I'm going to take a shuttle and I'm going to go and save Spock or whatever he was, she was doing. And he just right. accepted it and let her go. 
So that right. you didn't see that in in Taws. Anyway, or so. Next Generation. I can't. I or can't Next see Gen. Hard. Just letting someone go like that either. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. I think uh, he's kind of a little a little like Pike. Right. Or I guess Pike would be more like him because Mercer came first. Hmm. Then the new Pike. I, I'm, well, not, I'm not counting the, the Jeff, new Pike. Jeffrey Hunter yeah, yeah I, I, I got that. Yeah. So um, I want to I want to point out something in your synopsis. You mm-hmm. referred to something called a, a holodeck. What's that? No. <laughs> I think what you meant to say was environmental simulator, which is uh, the term in Orville. <laughs> didn't they call it a holodeck? They didn't. Okay. No. Okay, so so fine. They don't do that, but uh, <laughs> tractor beams. Uh, yeah, and like right. tons of other terminology. Which, quite frankly, that's fine. That's kind of fine. Uh, because, quite frankly, if they had to redo everything. I mean, if they had to come out with different names and uh, bend over backwards to have different names just so they weren't like Star Trek, even though they're right. obviously like Star Trek. Um, <laughs> I mean, like environmental stimu- simulators. Is that what they call it? I didn't remember that. Yeah. Um, that's a lot longer than holodeck, but whatever. <laughs> well, what do they call faster than light speed? Do they call it warp? Or No, it's not it? warp. They call it it's quantum quantum drive. Quantum drive, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. Uh, yeah, I, I like they got a different name, and it and it looks like it it works differently fundamentally from warp drive. So, uh, or so it appears. Right. Definitely, the engines are wackadoodle, and look cool. I, I kind of like it. Right. All right. Now, anyways, I just wanted to point that out. Now, as far as that holodeck simulation they're running, I thought that was hilarious. Not not hilarious because it's a horrible point in our history, uh, the Crusades. But I, I do like their their observations. Their, yeah, about how yeah. oh they're they're worshiping a different god. Yeah, no, it's the same god. They just want to worship him a little differently. I thought that was hilarious. Not not hilarious again, but just that it was so true. Well, that, that they all come. These people killed each other for the. Yeah, I don't know. For no reason, I don't know what you would want. What, how you would want? To well, say no it, good but. reason anyway. Right, but yeah, yeah it, it's, it, it's, it all boils time. down to whether it's religious base or political ideology or whatever. There's it all goes back to tribalism and your group of people. Uh, you spotted another group of people and you're not sure if they're going to attack you or not. So your knee jerk inbred reaction is to hate them. So, right. It's where, it's where it seems like it all comes from anyway. So, yeah, I've been watching a lot of world war two and world war one documentaries and yeah. movies and things. And it's just, it's just amazing that he, that's, that's the number one thing humans want to do. You know, Oh, we invented this, this flying machine. Let's put guns on it and kill other people. You know, it's just like every invention that they came up with. Yeah, that was what they wanted to do. The first thing they wanted to do was find a way to use it to kill people. Right. It's it's horrible. Yeah, it is bad. But yeah, yep, yep. Um. So my comments on on the whole uh, environmental simulator is twofold. Number one. Okay, it, it establishes firmly 
we're going to have religious commentary on this, on this story. Okay, fine. That's fine. Um, and the second thing is, dang, that simulation looks like it's taken up an awful lot of space. So you've got hundreds of combatants, or at least it appears to be hundreds. I assume it's hundreds, um, across a big distance, and then they, you know, they 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 march at each other, either on foot or on horses. I mean, it's like um, Lawrence of Arabia time. I mean, it's <laughs> it's like big. So where did they fit that on the ship on the Orville? I mean, it's just a projection. I, I, okay, but the there's physical there's physical stuff going on, um, and and I know this has always been the thing about holodecks too. It's like um, I know in theory it's supposed to be just a projection, but there's physical act- interactions going on. Uh, there when when John is cutting off the heads, I assume that there's some force pushing back on his blade. Um, so, yeah, so that's hard light. It's hard light. <laughs> I, I know this is just a story. I just want to say it just struck me that this would have to take place in a pretty big room. Well, I disagree with you. I think it's a small room, and it's just projected to make it look big. And it's the same problem I always had with Star Trek holodecks, is that you yeah. could have well, I agree. people in the same holodeck, yet you're on different floors, you're on different parts of the city. Oh, well, okay. Yet you're still supposed to all be in that same little room. Yeah. But somehow you don't see the other people or bump into them or whatever. Uh, just uh, you just got you just got to go with it. That's well, that's I know I, I know you got to go with it. But, but the only way that you could fit this kind of stuff into a small thing is it, indeed the only thing that's hard hard light beams is what is right there with. With the humans that are using right, it, right? Exactly, and then the I rest mean, just, is just, just that on the wall. Just that, <laughs> what a uh, ten-foot square space, <laughs> and then everything beyond that is completely projection. That's the only way exactly. it could work. Yep, but That's still, way, I, I mean, think. look at these guys. Now, now, if you had John on one side and you had Gordon on the other side, where there's a huge distance between them, well, then I've got something well, so, more to say. Uh, well, no, I, I think it goes back to the holodeck. It's just, oh somehow, God. the it's, way you see it it's and the way he BS. sees it. Is, yeah. it's, it yeah. just, no, just goes I, a little too far. It just goes a little too far sometimes, but that's fine. Whatever. Yeah, the the Sherlock Holmes one and, and, the, and the little mystery ones they did mm-hmm. on, the, on, the, on Next Generation, those right. are the ones that always got me. It's just like, they are in different parts of the city investigating this stuff. How are you both? How are y'all both in the same holodeck, seeing the same thing, seeing different things, seeing different same, things yeah. in the same, yeah. you know, little tiny room? Yeah. That's and then when point. you get to Deep Space Nine and you're in the hollow suites, which are even smaller, it's just like, how are you playing baseball? How are how is yeah people in there, there you go. playing baseball in a room no bigger than my bedroom? You know, it's just exactly. Like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. So that that is the baseball playing one is especially good. Right. So that's just. Uh, you know, I think I think you're really just in a coma when you're in there. And it's just, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that that one comic book for Taws, where they had um, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy actually in some kind of a uh, you know sleeper chamber looking thing or something. Exactly. Uh, and and so this was like some prototype pre pre uh, predecessor to the holodeck. 
Right, right. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It's your Oculus Quest strapped to your head, but you, <laughs> but you didn't remember them putting it on your head. You mean Anyways. your MetaQuest? MetaQuest, yeah. I forgot to change the name. Dang. Can't get used to that. Okay. Uh, so anyways, uh, so back to the story. Um, one of the things I liked about the last issues of Orville and this one is that they have uh, guest stars, just like they would on the show. Uh-huh. And they choose real-life actors to portray these guest stars. Yes. So uh, who all did you point, pick out in this one? Well, uh, the, the, first, the, the first and obvious one, and maybe the only one, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about uh, Celeste. But I do know that um, Dr. Darden, the lead scientist, mm -hmm. is obviously Stellan Skarsgård, who is a Swedish actor, and he's been in a lot of TV shows and movies. He's in Andor right now. He's been in the Thor movies, Avenger movies, a lot of Marvel things, playing right. that same character. Uh, right. he, he, he was the lead actor in Chernobyl, so he did That's a really true. good job on that. And he's just been in a ton of things. So obviously, you know, you, 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 take a, you take a picture of him and the actor and then and look at Darden and you can see there, you know, he, he was the model for it. Right. Yeah, I agree 100% on that one. Um, definitely looks like him. And it mm -hmm. almost makes you wonder, did he have to give him likeness rights? I, that's a good uh, question. I don't know. Now, now know was, was, was Skarsgård ever... Okay, so I'm pretty sure Skarsgård was never in the TV show. No, not that I know of. Okay, so so why did they pick him? He looked like he would fit the part. Well, he would, <laughs> and he does a great. I mean, his likeness is is very appropriate. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I 100% agree with you on that one. Um, the other one, the uh, the other gentleman that's part of the group, I don't remember his name. The the shorter, the the heavier, heavier guy? one. Okay. Yeah, at times he looked like Pat Oswalt, like a, uh, like a, mm, mm, a, a more plump version. But then at other times he didn't at all. So I couldn't quite pick who what actor might have been him. Right. I I didn't recognize him as anybody, but yeah, I guess Pat Oswalt maybe maybe. What about Celeste? Now Celeste, the engineer guy that was kind of a little temporary in, interest of John's. I mean. That is is drawn as a really beautiful lady. I, I gotta believe that that they use a, a a real person to model that off of. But I have no idea who who that is. Yeah, I don't either. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, are there any others you you recognize? I guess uh, no, the only I thing left is the lizard guy. Yeah, no, he kind of looked like uh, the guy from Discovery with some horns. Ah. What's his name? Bob? Steve? I oh, yeah, yeah. Looks a little bit like uh, uh, Enemy Mind guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, but again, without horns. I loved Enemy Mind. That was I thought show. that was a great movie. I liked it. And the last thing I just want to mention about um, using Stellan Skarsgård is mm -hmm. his character in Andor is... So I just finished up season one of Andor. Um... And it turned out the first episode was kind of me, but then the the sh the episodes got really better as they went, and it's it, it's really a good good TV show if you haven't you guys haven't watched it, it's really worth your time. And that uh, that character he plays, uh, Luthen Rayal, 
R-A-E-L in Andor. Uh, very interesting character. Uh, a character worth keeping your eye on because he's more than he appears to be. Anyway. Does he, does he follow the word of Avis? <laughs> uh, not in Andor, no. Hmm. I do need to finish that. There you go. So uh, can we get back to the story of this one? No. Now that we've gone over the, the likenesses? <laughs> yeah, sure. So I kind of liked the idea that the, this Bible, this, this uh, Avis Bible, would be so compelling that it would, it alone, reading these passages alone was enough to convert these four scientists to the religion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what's in that book, but I thought it was kind of interesting that that whatever it was was so compelling that it was just like I'm going to give up my life to follow follow these teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't seem like it was like they were being coerced or anything. It wasn't like brainwashing or anything. It was literally no that, and them reading the book and then deciding I, let's I, just mm-hmm. practice it to see how it would be like. And then they realized, oh, this is this is the way to live. Okay, and you like that, and I find that incredibly difficult to believe. That four scientists from totally different backgrounds, totally different lives, that just all were apparently drawn to xenoanthropology, fine, but that all of these people, all of them, would see that much in the text that they would give up their life, uh, or their existing life, to mm-hmm. go into Krill land, uh, a violent race who apparently don't think much of humans since they stabbed their heads during their religious ceremonies. Right. I mean, I find that incredibly hard to believe. Uh, I but mean, you do, wh- you what do could see this possibly now. say that would get them to join the Kool- uh, drink the Kool-Aid that much? Right. I, I, but you keep bringing up the Kool-Aid thing. I mean, he, he did have followers that were successful and and still somehow got coerced into the the cult life i mean it's something that does happen now today even now oh yeah that people people who seem to have everything going for them somehow get mixed up into believing you know madman or whatever and i mean you don't even have to be mad just people that follow a a new way of thinking or a new life Mm -hmm. i I don't know i mean it isn't just religious yeah, I don't yeah, I get it agree. personally. I don't think I could do that, but you do see it. So I thought the the idea of somebody converting to Avis was was actually kind of an interesting take. Yeah, I it was interesting, but I find it difficult to believe. I mean, these are the four scientists. I mean, okay, so Darden was tasked with it. They showed that much in the book. So you know at least he was tasked with it. And then I assume that he was the lead and then these other three folks were part of his team from the beginning. Yeah, that's the way I took it too. And the idea that all four of them would become so enamored, I mean, okay, one or two, but all four of these people? I found it hard to believe. You know, I find it hard to believe too, but I, I liked it. And and lots of stories have things that are, they ask you to believe something that doesn't really seem like it makes that right. much sense, but you go with it because it's entertaining. I mean, the sure. Christmas, uh, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future—kind of a stretch, don't you think? But 
you know, we accepted it. Right. Little, this is just a little story. bit different. <laughs> a little different? What? A little different. Why is it I different? Mean, I'm, I'm saying if it was... Ghost of Christmas past, present, and future? I, I don't think anybody in the real world believes in the ghost of Christmas. No, no, of course. Past. And nobody believes in the krill either. So, No, but they do. But it does have real world... Applicability? Uh, yes. Yeah. That there yeah. are people like, uh, you know, Koresh and all those other ones that yeah. somehow manipulate people into believing their their god or whatever. Yeah. It's just it's just sad that it's it still happens even today when you think, ah, oh, we're smart enough. We're, we're too smart for that stuff. Wow. Well. <laughs> before you know it, you're following Avis. Yeah. Well. Yep. Anyways, anything else? Um I f- uh just okay, so I just wanted to Mention what an awesome, smart guy Lamar is. So he is definitely a miracle worker, employing Star Trek technical tricks, uh, but in an even more hard-to-believe way than Star Trek ever did. So he's able... So Star Trek, of course, as we discovered in Wrath of Khan, uh, they're at least Starfleet vessels have remote control capabilities, but it's guarded with a, with a code or something. You need to have the codes before you can take over a different ship. Now, Lamar is able to take over a civilian transport ship and completely remote control it um, without any kind of codes or anything. Could you see the mass... <laughs> Issues it would it would be that ships can be taken over uh, by other people outside the ship. Um, um, I, it's called I think Tesla I think driving cars. Yes. No. <laughs> I think once that becomes the norm, then the police will be able to no, uh, no. lock no. in no. and stop a car. Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, and that's a car I do not ever want to own. Yeah, well, here in the future, you don't have that choice. It just comes pretty Okay, yeah, well, okay, so I don't, this is crap. I don't believe it. <laughs> I think it's it's incredibly uh, a stretch just because they got to stop the ship. Sure. Okay, so, and, and, and Star Trek is definitely guilty of this kind of stuff. Sometimes the things they figure out to do is total babble. And it's hard to hard to believe, but it struck me how many times in this book, just this book, that Lamar was doing amazing things. Right. Okay. So he was also able to remotely tap into the transport's internal cameras and microphones. So again, yep. Um, I mean, wouldn't you wouldn't you have safeguards to say keep people from doing things like that? And Lamar is able to do it. So okay, I you know they. He he was like a normal guy in season one, a pilot, I, right? Or or was he navigator? Or navigator? Yeah. He so was navigator. and then ping, you're doing the Jordy LaForge switch, and now you're chief <laughs> engineer. Welcome. And then right. you find out that he's a genius. Yeah, he's a genius. Okay, yeah. so okay, fine. It's just again, <laughs> he Lamar seems to be able to do anything he needs to for the story. Right, I'm and, just saying. and definitely like season three of the Orville, it was really bad. Yeah, <laughs> as far as whatever predicament they were in, 
he could yeah. get him out of it. Exactly. It was just like, oh, come on. How do you know this, too? It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> why do you even need Yasser? Yeah, or anybody. You could just do it all yourself. Yeah. Was Dan yeah. always an engineering guy, too? Yeah, I think so. I, I remember. He I, didn't he, like, guy. show up in an elevator at first or something? Uh, anyway. Maybe at first. Um, I think, yeah, I think, I think you first saw Dan in elevators trying to talk to Ed. Uh, and he would always try to get away from him or something. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, okay, so quickly, uh, they do show a shot of Lamar's control panels. They reminded me a bit of Elkar's. You know, all touch screen and the way things were laid out and like little borders are there. And it just reminded me of the Elkar's uh, system from Star Trek, the next gen. Yeah, I can totally see that. Uh, and that's it. I thought to say. Okay. All right. So as far as these two issues go, I thought this one was the more cerebral of the two. Mm-hmm. It's just that this is all driven. And I think the second one is just like, we're going to squeeze in two issues of action into one book. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Not much story goes on in these books. It's just like, bam, 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 bam. So uh, yeah. if, if I'm a little all over the place, it's because that's the way the book is. It's just uh, one crisis after another. Right. So, all right. So issue two came out October of 2019. Uh, all the art and writing and editing staff is the same as the first issue. Uh, there is only one cover, and it shows a Creel. And uh, he kind of has his arm outstretched, and then we see some Krill vessels and the Orville kind of heading off face-to-face. So the story starts with uh, Orville finding itself 30 light-years into Krill space and heading back at maximum speed. They just need to stay undetected for the three hours it'll take to get back to Federation. Oh, I'm sorry, Union space. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, right? They use a holographic cloaking device to make the Orville look like a Creel vessel. And this is going to disguise them until they get there. So Mercer meets with the recent Creel religious devotees and learns how they sabotage the Orville's guidance computers. Uh, he asks them to help them. They refuse to help in returning uh, back to Union space. A Krill vessel does indeed spot them on some long-range sensors. Their scans show that it was just a Krill vessel, but there's a mysterious other person on the bridge. And this person asks that the Krill ship use a neutron scan to look at the ship. And when they do this, the uh, cloak goes down, exposing the Orville. So the Orville is then chased into an asteroid field, just like... Empire Strikes Back, and it hides from some missiles by going into a large cave. So though they're able to miss the missiles, the missiles do destroy the entrance to the cave, basically leaving them trapped inside this asteroid. So the crew meet to discuss options. Lamar has the idea of putting the holographic cloak on the science vessel and then sending it out so that it looks like it's the Orville itself while the real Orville heads back to Union Space. And then uh, hopefully the Krill will chase the hologram and not the real one. So Mercer agrees with this plan. Later, they need the help of the scientists, and in order to get their 
involvement, they create a ruse to make it feel like the krill are drilling into the asteroid. And once they break open the asteroid, they will destroy the Orville. So this, uh, this act works, and most of the scientists uh, convert back to help the Orville. Only the leader um, refuses to do so and has to get stunned by Mercer. So later they do indeed make their escape, just like they said, using the decoy. And uh, all but the leader are given some lighter sentences and uh, due to the help of the escape. So, meanwhile, aboard the Krill vessel, the mysterious leader reveals herself to be Talea. And she says that she has plans for that particular Union vessel. The end. <laughs> uh, Kelly. Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson, yeah. I, keep, I don't oh, know why I kept saying Amanda, but that's Star Trek. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why I couldn't remember her name until, you know, in the middle of your... Uh, synopsis. Uh, Anywho, yeah. So it's all wrapped up, huh? So, uh, got, so, so, questions. so they all drank the Kool Aid, uh, but not as much as Darden did. So I can understand that more so. Right. Where in the first one, they all seem to be robots following the new religion. Uh, we saw that not everybody was as committed, which was good. They were showing their <laughs> reasonable humanity. Anyway. Yeah, but it only had the. It did take them to be tricked into thinking that their life was at stake before they converted. Yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, but it, but it was a litmus test to see how, how far down the path they all were. Right. Um, and then Darden is the one that was obviously way down <laughs> the path. Uh, right. Anyway. Yeah. So Grayson was the one that had to shoot him. Not not Mercer, even yeah. though Mercer has. Although, done did two. they actually well, show that? No, I, I think you're right. Guns and it shows. It just shows them standing there. Oh right, and then she says the guy was getting on my nerves. So you're right, yeah. Kelly. Kelly shot him. She did it. Okay. I was just gonna say, how did uh, Talia escape? Do you? Do we ever get privy to that? Um. So. She, she was captured in well, the first season, and then she was in this flashback in the first issue, and then here she's a mysterious leader on this one ship. And then I think at the beginning well, of season two, wasn't she already on on the ship as a as a genetically modified human? Well, is this? I thought this was two point five, not two point five. No, this is one point. This no, is 1.5, between seasons yeah. one and two. Right. Right. Okay, so those are her plans. She's going to go get the Skyzy. In undercover. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. So I was a little confused on the exact, exactly where this fit in to the timing overall. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes more sense. Okay, so her very special plans are what we see in season two. Okay. Right. But I did look it up, and no... No episode nor expanded media has ever explained how she escaped. Yeah. So there's an issue, there's an episode where she's captured, mm-hmm. and then the next time we see her episode wise, she's uh, you know that love interest sure. on, the, on the ship. Sure. And then so here I thought, oh well maybe they'll explain who she is because you know you know right away that's who she is from the in this issue when she's just 
shown in silhouette and stuff, you're like, eh, I bet that's her. I didn't. Otherwise, they would. Otherwise, they would have shown who it is. Yeah. Well, uh, they obviously wanted to keep the uh, keep the identity a secret, and I did not. Yeah. It I did not occur to me that it was her until she came out of the shadows. Oh, really? And it's yeah. like, well, how does she know about neutron radiation? Hmm. Or, or Avis told her. Is that the deal? I, don't I mean, that's what so. she said, didn't she? Yeah, but I don't yeah. think that's the truth. No, I, I don't think it is either. But um, you know, neutron radiation doesn't isn't neutron radiation deadly at least to humans and most Earth life? Uh, maybe when you're just using it as skin, it's okay. You know, <laughs> X-rays. <laughs> okay, Short so exposure. so it must be a really low. Uh, setting of neutron radiation because there is such a thing as called a neutron bomb that will destroy sure. uh, living tissue and leave the buildings intact. But okay, just 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 being sure, you know. <laughs> so you're going to shoot neutron radiation at uh, at a ship that could be a krill ship. You don't know for sure that it isn't yet, but you're going to shoot neutron radiation at it. Uh, to break its potential uh, chameleon circuit or whatever. So, right. Okay. It just seems a little radical. Or, mm, not a radical, but a little risky. But you're right. They probably, it's a low gain, brief exposure. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, so my thing was is that, I mean, even if it wasn't, even if it was a Creel ship, you would think that they would want to stop it because it was heading straight for Union space. Right. So uh, I don't see why. I don't see why it would have paused. I don't. I don't see how this trick would have worked at all. Because mm. if you see even your friends, you know, even a friendly ship heading straight to the neutral zone, mm-hmm. uh, you got to stop them. Otherwise, you're going to start a war. Yeah. Yep. Good point. So. Uh, well. I, I just, oh, okay. And. And here's another thing. Uh, they were, what was it, 20, 26 light years? I mean, how many light years were they away? Uh, 30, right? 30? Okay, well, whatever the number is. Um, so, first off, I'm amazed they got that far without realizing what went on. Because that seems like a pretty good distance. However, rather than going to quantum speed... Which is something Kelly suggests to do later in the issue. She actually says, if we just had a few minutes to get out of the asteroid field, we might be able to jump to quantum and get away. Well, if you can jump to quantum speed and get away and go that fast, why the hell didn't you do that in the first place? When you well, realized you were that far over the, uh, over the border. They did do that, and that was when uh, that was when he said that it was going to take three hours, and then Isaac was uh, like, "Actually, it's two point seven. Yeah, it, it's a bunch. It, it's a load of malarkey. So I think they were opinion. just so close to the border that they, they should have went to quantum speed a, in the first place. They did, Ken. I think it's no, I don't think so. Well, how could they get away from them then? You well, got three just, ships that are right they were on that your butt. close to the uh, that close to the border that they just needed. Just needed a tiny bit more time to get over, but it still. Well, I don't know about tiny. I mean, they they went to the bother of rigging up that that whatever they called it, uh, you know, what, what whatever that 
chameleon. I call it chameleon circus. Sorry. Isn't that a Doctor Who thing? That's anyway. Doctor Who thing. Um, so they went to all that bother rather than, and talking about it rather than just going to, a quant, going to quantum speed. And quite frankly, if you're able to navigate around the galaxy, I mean, did they ever talk about sectors in, in, in uh, the Orville? I don't remember them ever doing that. Anyway, they obviously have FTL. And if right. you are able to navigate around a galaxy pretty quick, you should be able to cover 30 light years pretty freaking fast. Three so. hours. Oh, my God. So they can go 10,000 oh light years per hour. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I do not... My interpretation is they purposely... They're inconsistent about the capabilities of the ship uh, because it works for the story. Yeah, well, I thought third, I thought 10,000 light years an hour at Quantum was, was pretty fast. It seems pretty fast. Yeah. Well, okay. That's cool. It's all made make-believe anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it just seems to me That's true. that in this book, they make it very clear that they can go to Quantum and get away from three Krill ships, which should be just as fast as the Orville, um, which seems odd. But, yeah, I just... In one case, they're slow. In the other case, they're, they, they're fast. If they, if they just might be able to do it after they get clear of the asteroid field. Yeah. Convenient. Yeah. Well, again, uh, another I, thing I find very they were just close is how they can go from high speed trying to get away from the krill ships and break fast enough that they can go into a hole in an asteroid. I mean, they would have to go from incredibly fast to like almost no speed at all to be able to slip into the uh into the asteroid. Which right. How do they know how deep that goes? I mean, Ed didn't ask for any kind of a, a sensor sweep or something, so he didn't know. He sees an opening. He says, take it, because we've got nothing else to do. And it's, it's cool that it ends up being a long tunnel and, and a big enough thing inside that they can fit the whole ship in. But anyway. And whatever. it's amazing there's not a giant worm in it. <laughs> You know, every time I see something like this and I think back to uh, Empire Strikes Back and that whole thing, I think of the robot chicken one where they're, what they're showing the, uh, you know, the Millennium Falcon getting out and then the two, two worms come out, coming out of there. Right. And they're saying, oh, you know, they got English accents. Oh, I never get to eat anything. <laughs> and they're going, you want to you order Chinese? Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, I see. Oh, yeah. God, I'd love... Some of the robot chicken things for Star Wars is just so awesome. Very funny. Anyway. Right. Now, the uh, there's a novel called um, A Certain Point of View. Mm-hmm. So they have one for A New Hope, and then they came out with one for Imp- Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And so basically it tells the story of Empire Strikes Back, but it's a bunch of little short stories from other people's point of view. No. Oh. And, and the one from the worm's point of view is, is really... Oh, that sounds funny. Because the whole reason why that asteroid belt is there is that it's it's the uh, you know only once in a millennium or whatever, 
it's the um, mating season for these for these worms. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's a a very dense asteroid field. Okay. And uh, yeah, they're just there to to get on and per, and procreate, and then suddenly a, a ship flies into them. Oh, it, it's, <laughs> it, it was an interesting take. I wasn't expecting it. Uh huh. Eh, I like creativity like that. That's cool. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'll have to do some research on uh, warp speeds, but I don't know what uh, thirty, what 10,000 light years an hour would equate to warp speed. Ooh. But that'll be a good, good way to figure it out. How fast these ships are versus Enterprises. Well, I might be able to tell you. Because I got a great chart that shows warp speeds. And I, oh, yeah. I might have showed you that before. Okay. Yeah, so according to this one, uh, for 30 light, 30 light years would take seven days at warp nine. Okay. We'll see warp okay. 9.9. So, so, still takes so if that's as slow as they're going, then why does jumping to uh, quantum speed, wouldn't they be going at quantum speed already to get away? Yeah. The jump well, to quantum? To they had to stop to go to the asteroid field. Okay, well, how are they going to get away then? Well, they go back Do to Do the quantum, other three ships but, not have well, quantum speed? But they're chasing the, the shuttle. Well, chasing, they're ch- chasing the orbital. They're chasing when the orbital, right? the When they leave the asteroid, they send the, the shuttle one direction, what, okay, so, and then they go the so, other. Yeah, so this is before that was all hatched. Mm-hmm. So this is Kelly. I think... I'd have to find the exact page because I've just got a clip from it. But I think this one, they're talking about all the different ways they could do things. And, they, and she's saying, so before they left the, uh, the asteroid, mm-hmm. I think one of the things she's saying is uh, we might be able to jump to quantum and get away. Well, right. Ta- yeah, because they're inside, they're inside the yeah, shuttle. Exactly. They're inside yeah, the but- asteroid. Yeah, but how are they going to do that? And now I know ultimately they figure out to have the decoy. But what she's saying is all we had to do is get out of the asteroid field and jump to quantum to get away. Right. Well, well she's just saying we need, need a do few that? minutes. We need a few minutes so that we can get away. And the few minutes comes from we'll create a decoy, send it out. That'll give you the few minutes it takes you to, to get away. No. No. Uh being at quantum speed apparently didn't help you that much before, since they were able to catch up with you so quickly. Right. I mean, they were on top of that ship fast. So how yeah, did they so catch up so fast? Their quantum if, must be faster than, than if, ours. If, if the Orville was in such a, a high speed to get back out of Krill territory, how the hell did those three Krill ships catch up so fast? Yeah, good point. So that's uh, fine. It's all... It's all a story, and we know that technology works just as well as, as, it, as it needs to to, to, su- to suit the story. I'm just right. saying it just annoyed me a little bit during my reading. That's all. That's all. I can see that. I can see that. Anywho. Anything else on this one? Nope. Uh, I'm good. You? I'm good. So a serviceable story, and, and it did do an interesting uh, examination of religion. So that gave a little bit right. more meat than just a, a standard adventure thing. A little something to think about. Sure. 
before it. No, I like. I like. I mean, again, I thought. I thought it was weird that the uh, the issue before seemed like it had all the story, and then this one was just action, crisis action. after crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was all adventure, without an overly large amount of thought. Right. <laughs> but. Cool. But uh, no, I enjoyed it. You? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, not my favorite in the world, but... So anything else to say about these two? Uh, nope, I'm good. Okay, cool, me too. So what are we doing next week? Or next time? Well, next time. since we're, we're still caught up on uh, Star Trek comics, mm-hmm. um, I, think, I think Star Trek number two is either coming out this week or maybe just came out yesterday or something, mm-hmm. but uh, we're going to give it another week before we go back to Star Trek, so we're going to do another Orville. Cool. Uh, so we'll do, I guess what it's called, Season 2.5, um, Launch Day, number one and two. Cool. So that's, um, so from the sound of it, Launch Day, it makes it sound like it's when the Orville launched? Or when Ed was the captain? Or, uh, I don't know, what's launch? I guess I we'll know, find out. Maybe it's a flashback of some sort. Right, right, exactly. That's my first thought. But I guess we'll don't find know. out. Guess we'll find out. Or did it? If it's two point five, maybe it's between after it got damaged and at the end of two. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't remember that much. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, of the four books that are in two point five, so there's four of them. Uh, this right. is the first one, so. Um, if it is talking about repairing damage and launching again, then that, that would make sense in, in this issue. Right. But it came out, you know, two years before season three actually started. So I doubt it's going to have the new paint job that the season three were about. <laughs> the new, they did upgrade a few things. Right. So what, what, what's different in the paint job? I mean, I know they got that. They got not white anymore, right? It's it's now like shiny metal. I don't know. I thought. Oh, I thought is it? it looked different? Okay. I'll go back and look. Okay. Because uh, definitely they they totally redid the shuttles, so the shuttles don't look like sperm anymore. Um, it, it looks cooler, so that's good. And then they got the little fighters, so that's cool. Um, and I, and they had some kind in the, re- while they were repairing the Oroville, I guess they did something, upgraded some things, mm-hmm. but I don't remember the, um, the paint job changing that much, but I just may not have noticed it. I thought it looked shinier, but maybe yeah. I'm misremembering. Well, it used to be like gray and, um, gray and light, really, really light gray, not white. Right. And then with and- blue accents. And blue engines. So, I don't know. So it used to be flatter and now it's shinier. I just remember three. it being so, so dang shiny. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll I find was like, out. oh man, they're doing that because so they'll make another model of it. And then... Uh, <laughs> and then the Eagle Moss goes belly Eagle up. Eagle Moss went, went down. Which is a real shame. But Okay, <laughs> sounds good. All right. More Orville next time. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. 
All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review <laughs>